We had a bit of a, um, a situation in the Jane household this last week. Uh, from time to time, Casey, my wife, uh, she'll go through the closet and she'll decide, you know, we need to get rid of some of this stuff. She'll start to fill some goodwill bags, some bags of things that need to be uh, donated. And fortunately, I came into the room as she was filling the bags because to my horror, she had this pair of shorts and she was gonna give them away. I was like, Case, those are my favorite shorts. I love these shorts. I say shorts, I mean, when I bought them, they were, this was how kids were wearing the shorts. But I said, Case, I love these shorts. Now the elastic doesn't work in them anymore. The string's broken, I have to tie it like together to try and hold them up. But these are great shorts. I've had these shorts a long time. I actually came across a picture just recently of me wearing these shorts on vacation. It was me, Casey in the picture, Ben and Will. Uh, My daughter Emma hadn't even been born at that point. (laughs) This last week we celebrated Emma's 16th birthday. So that's how long these shorts have been a part of the Jane household. And I'm like, I wanna keep those shorts. So fortunately, I used the excuse of a sermon illustration so they've been rescued once more from the charity shop so they live to see another day but I'm guessing I'm guessing that if I was to come to your house this week I'd find something something in your house that you just you know really you should throw out but but you just want to hold on to it because you have like an attachment to it there's there's a story behind it it means something to you and yes it may look like junk or it may look old and but if you knew why and isn't it funny how we have these kind of sentimental attachments to things in our life I hope none of you um, get as attached to the things in your life as Sandra West did. Sandra West lived back in the 50s and the 60s, and she loved her car. She loved her um, baby blue 1964 Ferrari. Uh, This is what that Ferrari would look like today. She loved it so much. She was so attached to this car that it was her dying wish to be buried with it. And her wish was fulfilled. In 1977, when she passed away, Sandra was buried in her Ferrari. (laughs) And to this day, her uh, grave is a tourist attraction. You can go and see the grave where Sandra and her Ferrari have been buried. I wonder if during her life, someone said, you know, these things you've got are lovely, but don't forget, you can't take it with you when you go. And she's like, you think? Watch me. (laughs) And she did. She took it with her. (laughs) You know, I understand how certain items, certain objects, certain possessions can have a a sentimental value to them. But the reality is, and, and I'd actually say the danger is, that most of us, if we're not careful, we can have a relationship with our possessions that goes far beyond sentiment. In fact, actually, it can determine how we view ourselves. I mean, think about it. Do you ever find yourself feeling better because of something you've purchased. Maybe you've bought a new outfit and you just feel good. You feel better wearing it. Maybe um, you've bought yourself a a new car and just driving around that new car just feels great. Maybe you managed to get tickets to see the bears on the 50 yard line and you're feeling pretty good. Well, actually maybe you aren't feeling so good (laughs) seeing the bears right now. But, but buying something makes you feel better. On the flip side, have you ever noticed how sometimes if you don't have something, you feel worse? Everyone, it seems, has the iPhone 27, but I've only got the iPhone 15. 
I look at my house and my neighbor's houses and I think my house should be bigger. I should be making way more money in my career right now. And the danger with these um, ideas of something we have making us feel better or something we don't have not making us feel better is they prey on something that every one of us can often suffer with and that's dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. We feel dissatisfied with who we are or what we have. And we have this idea that a possession or a purchase or something material will be a quick fix. It'll become a solution to the problem. I feel dissatisfied. Having this will satisfy me. If I could just get this, fill in the blank, I would be happy. Now, here's the problem with that thought. An author by the name of Sean Acor, he wrote the book, The Happiness Advantage. And in this book, one of the things he explains is, is why it is that possessions will never fully satisfy us. Because he explains that each time our brain experiences a success, each time we get that thing we want, all it does is move the goalpost a little bit further down the field. When I do get that brand new iPhone 35, suddenly I want the next one that's coming out. When I do manage to get that house before long, I need a bigger one. When I get that raise, I still find myself wanting more. And what's happening here is we're all getting bombarded with what I'm gonna call today the possession lie. The possession lie. And the possession lie, it tells us I am what I have. I am what I have. And it's a lie, I think, that many of us fall for again and again. So last Sunday, we actually started this new series that we're in today called Live No Lies. And the purpose of this this short series is to identify the fact that um, I believe the devil, he wants to use lies to deceive us into living short of where we truly could find satisfaction and joy. In fact, Jesus calls the devil out for this. He identifies him for who he is in John chapter 8, verse 44. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's kind of telling them off a little bit. And he says in verse 44, you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Sadly, we fall for these lies way too easily because they just sound so true. Oftentimes, the lie of the devil, it sounds so believable because it kind of lines up with the narrative of the world in which we live. There's an idea that everyone is living this way. So surely it must be true if everyone is behaving this way, doing this thing, living like this. But what if it is a lie? What if everyone is being caught out by the devil in this lie? What if there was something that was true, a a way to live differently? Jesus talks about that. He identifies himself as the complete opposite. He said in verse 31 and 32 of John chapter 8, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth because the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is saying, yes, 
what I have to share, what, the message I have, it may go against the message you hear every day in the world. But I actually think that what I'm sharing, it is the truth. It will set you free. It will change the way you live your lives. He is the truth and the truth will set you free. So over these three weeks in this series, we're looking at what are really some simple lies of the devil, but they're so easy to fall for, so easy to believe in. We're going to expose them, and then we're going to show the truth of Jesus, how we can respond and react to these lies. So last week, if you weren't here, we actually talked about the performance lie. The performance lie. The performance lie tells you, I am loved and valuable for what I do. The performance lie wants you to believe that your love, your value, it comes out of what you do. And that's dangerous because we'll never find ourselves being able to do enough. We'll always want to do more uh, to find that love and that value. Jesus said, the truth is that you are loved and valuable for who you are. You are loved and valuable just for who you are in the eyes of God. When he looks on this morning and sees you sat here in this room this morning, when he sees you at home watching online, he wants you to know you are loved and valuable, not for what you do, but just for who you are. Last week, we learned that Jesus said this to his own son, Jesus. Jesus has just been baptized. He's not done a simple thing yet. He's not done anything that would bring him some worth in the eyes of the world. He's not preached, he's not taught, he's not performed any miracles. He hasn't gone to the cross to die for our sins. And yet, right there in that moment, before he's done anything, a voice from heaven, his heavenly Father says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And as children of God here this morning, he says the same to you and me, that you are my dearly loved children. You bring me great joy, not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. That's the performance lie. And this morning, we're going to address the possession lie, because it's kind of similar. The possession lie says, I am loved and valuable because of what I have, not because of what I've done, but because of what I have. And the truth today is still the same. It's not because of what you've done or what you have. You are loved and valuable because of who you are. That's the truth this morning that Jesus wants you to know. Now, I do want to emphasize as I start talking about this idea of possessions and and trying to find our identity and our value in what we have and in our possessions. Possessions in and of themselves aren't wrong. Having stuff in your life isn't wrong enjoying and liking the stuff in your life. It isn't wrong. Just recently, I was part of a, um, a charity event, Casey and I, we went to, and uh, we got there about half an hour before the silent auction was due to end. So I walked around the room and I checked out the, the things they had there. And right there, with some pretty low bids at this point, was a big green egg. Now, some of you are picturing just a hard-boiled egg that's kind of gone a strange color. No, this is, um, this is a grill, a very fancy grill. In fact, if you've ever met anyone who owns a big green egg, you'll know because they'll tell you that nothing tastes the same. Oh, you still cooking on charcoal? Oh, I cook on the green egg. Food tastes so different. It's a wonderful experience. You're like, yeah, whatever. I've become that person. <laughs> 
because five minutes before the auction came to an end, I looked around, I, Dave Jane, I got this thing for like half price. It was such a good deal. So I was so happy at this deal I'd got. I took it home, I set it up. First time I cooked, it just tastes so different. It tastes wonderful. It tastes amazing. It was so easy to cook. So much so that I'm loving cooking on my brand new big green egg. It's changed the Jane household. Because up till now, Casey, my wife, she did the majority of the cooking for us. I said, Case, I'm here. I'm here to take over. I'm going to start doing most of the cooking now. It's going to be wonderful. And I am. Just the other night, I cooked burgers on the egg. I came back in, sat with the family. said, isn't it great how I've taken over now all the responsibility on the food side? To which point Casey very lovingly reminded me that she went to the store and bought the meat. She got the meat shaped into hamburgers. She prepared all of the sides, cooked all the sides. She set the table. She answered my text when I was outside saying, hey, burgers are nearly ready. Can you bring the cheese out? She brought the cheese out. Um, <laughs> all I did was stood by the green egg watching TikTok videos and just flipping them every now and again. <laughs> She was very quick to point out I hadn't really taken on a huge responsibility as far as cooking goes. But I'm really enjoying cooking on this grill. It's become a possession that I enjoy, that I like. And maybe you've got something in your life that's like that. It's a possession and it does. It brings you joy. You enjoy um, driving it or you enjoy having it or you enjoy wearing it, whatever it might be. It's fine to love these things, but the problem is when we look to these things, to define us. When we try and find our value, our worth, when we look at these possessions to determine how we feel about ourselves. An author by the name of Richard Foster, he talks about this in his book, The Celebration of Discipline. He talks about the world in which we live, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, how they view their, their things, their stuff. Because we lack a divine center, our need for security has led us into an insane attachment to things. We really must understand that the lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. It's psychotic because it is, sorry, it is psychotic because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. We are made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they are worn out. The mass media have convinced us that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. It's time we awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Conformity to a sick society is ourselves to be sick. What he's saying here is it's time to expose the possession lie. And that's what we're doing today. And we're actually looking uh, to help us expose this lie at a specific time in the life of Jesus. A specific event that took place where he faced the deception and the lies of the father of lies himself, the devil. But because he knew who he was, because he knew where his core identity lay, he was able to stand against the lies of the devil. And we're gonna find out this morning that he faced his very own version of the possession lie. The, the story I'm talking about, the chapter in the life of Jesus I'm talking about is when he faced the devil and was tempted. 
So he's just been baptized. We talked about that a second ago. He's come up out of the water. He knows that God loves him. But the reality is he's done nothing. He's said nothing of any significance. He's performed no miracles. None of his teachings yet have been taught. He hasn't died on the cross. At a point in his life where he's done nothing, God says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Immediately following this, he spends time in the wilderness for 40 days. He goes to pray and to fast, to go without food because he knows how important this mission is that he's about to embark upon. And he wants to be as ready as possible. So he seeks God. He gets alone with God. But he's hungry. And he's open to temptation. And the devil sees this moment of weakness. And he comes along and he tempts him in three different ways. Last week, we looked at that first temptation. The idea that Jesus um, could turn the rocks into bread and satisfy his hunger. But Jesus stood up to the devil. He quoted scripture and he didn't give in. Today... We're going to discover that the devil tries to to tempt him again, tries to lie to him again, and he uses the possession lie. Listen to what happens, verses uh, 5 to 7 of Luke chapter 4. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms. I'll give you authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you. If you'll worship me, all this could be yours. All you have to do is worship me. Think about the core of this temptation. Jesus is in the wilderness. He has nothing other than the clothes on his back. And the devil's saying, Look at all this. Look at this riches, this wealth, this power, these kingdoms. All of these could be yours. Right now, anyone who looks at you, they would think you are so insignificant they would think you are no one because you have nothing. But if you get all of this, people will know you are someone. Your value will be found in all that you have. And the truth is, it was a, it was a difficult temptation for Jesus. Because as we read further on in Scripture later, uh, there comes a verse where um, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. After his death and resurrection, this will all be his. And the devil's offering in this shortcut. You can avoid the cross. You can avoid everything. This could be yours now. All at the simple low price of worship to me. And we think, well, we would never fall for something like that. But the devil was playing on that one weakness that we all face, that I am what I have. Jesus, you want people to think you're amazing. How much more amazing would they think you are if all of this was yours? I can give you this. You have nothing right now. You are so insignificant. Let me help you change the way people see you. But Jesus doesn't fall for it. He doesn't. And because he knows the cost. He knows that in order to get that, he would need to bow down in worship. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kneel to you now to find my value. He understands how the possession lie works. He understands that it always ends up 
involved in worship. Valuing something more than God himself. Put in worship value into something greater than God. Listen to what Jesus says a few chapters later in Luke 12, 15. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Those are some powerful words right there. Life isn't measured by how much you own. The lie, the dissatisfaction lie of the devil is that life is measured by how much you own. So make sure you own as much as possible. Jesus is saying, no, be careful not to fall for that lie. And here's how you'll fall for it. Watch out for greed. Greed's an ugly word, isn't it? I wouldn't call greed a desirable trait. In a few weeks, right here on this stage, we're gonna have a baby dedication. We do this twice a year at Connect. It's one of my favorite services because it's an opportunity for us as a church to, to stand alongside families who have brand new babies and say, we are partnering with you. We love that you've been blessed as a family with this beautiful baby and, and we are partnering with you. We as a church wanna help you raise that child through Connect Kids and through prayer and support. You're not alone in this. We as your church are on this journey with you. Part of the dedication process is the families have some homework to do before that Sunday. There are some videos they work, um, watch. There are some assignments they take. One of the assignments is that they have to come up with a list of words that they would like uh, included in that prayer. So I get handed that list on that Sunday morning. I may pray for a brand new baby and mom and dad, they said, we want you to pray that he will grow up to be strong and healthy and have good character. We want you to pray that she will grow up to be secure and loved. And these are words that they get to choose uh, that they would like to see in their kids. I've been doing this for years now. No one's ever yet written greedy on their, on their piece of paper. Would you pray that he'd be greedy? I really hope he becomes the greediest kid in kindergarten. No one wants to be greedy, but here's Jesus warning us against greed. Why would you say, Jesus, guard against every kind of greed? None of us want to be greedy, but here's the problem. Greedy sneaky. Greedy creeps up on us. Before we know it, we find ourselves falling into greed. You see, sometimes we find we want something. Before we know it, we want something more. I mean, think about it. Sometimes we justify our greed because we say, well, we, we need this. I need a bigger TV to watch the game on. I need more clothes. The ones I've got right now are, are getting old. I need more patio furniture. I need a new countertop. And again, none of these things are wrong unless we fall into the possession lie, the greed. And no sooner have we got that new TV where we're thinking, you know what? It's not that big. I think a bigger TV would be a little bit better. How quickly the new clothes become old clothes. For some reason, it just seems that every bird in the neighborhood is using my patio furniture for target practice. It's already looking kind of old and weathered. You know, maybe we need to replace that. This countertop, it's so last year. Greed is something that's never fully satisfied and we, we find ourselves wanting more. And the problem comes, again, nothing wrong with possessions in and of themselves. The problem comes when we look to these things to bring us life. When we fool ourselves into thinking that they are the answer, we're chasing after them, we, we're actually in danger of worshiping them. 
They become so important. We place so much value on them. They become even more important than our relationship with God. We look to them for our satisfaction and our contentment over God, and it becomes worship. We sang an amazing song this morning to close out our time of worship. And the the refrain at the end was, come and fill us again, fill me again. That should be our prayer every day of the week. But the possession lie says, you know what else fills you? Things, stuff, material possessions. We end up spending money. We don't have to acquire things we don't need in order to impress people. We don't lie. And we look to these possessions to somehow fulfill some of that emptiness inside of us. Because somewhere along the way, we bought into this lie that I am what I have. And we hope that if we can just get enough, we might feel like we are enough. And in that same way that Satan uses the same lie on Jesus, he says, do you see all this? You can have it. It would make you happy if you had all this. All you have to do is worship me. Put me, put this stuff, put these kingdoms above God. And Jesus responds, the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He needs to be at the top. This stuff will never fully satisfy me. Jesus says, no, I'm not gonna fall for that lie, devil, because I know that none of this will ever bring me what God can bring me. Jesus was grounded in his core identity. Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he was more than just what he had. He knew that he was loved because of who he was. God had said to him just prior to this at his baptism, this is my dearly loved son. And he brings me great joy and his foundation, his core identity was built upon that. And he wants all of us this morning to be in exactly the same place. That outside of our possessions, our core identity, who we are at the very heart of things, is not defined in what we have, but instead is defined in who we are. The British theologian N.T. Wright, he, he talks about it this way. At the heart of our resistance to temptation is love and loyalty to the God who has already called us his beloved children in Christ and who holds out before us the calling to follow him in the path which leads us to the true glory. In that glory lies the true happiness, the true fulfillment, which neither world, nor possessions, nor flesh, nor devil can begin to imitate. That is where we'll find satisfaction. Now, It's one thing here this morning to understand and to recognize the possession lie for what it is. Now that we know what the possession is, that we don't define ourselves by what we have, but instead by who we are. Now that we understand and recognize what the possession lie is, we can defend against it. We can now stand against it when it comes our way. But through this series, we're going to try not just to learn how to be defensive. We're going to try and learn how to be offensive. I don't mean like offensive, like we're going to be rude and we're going to be mean, you know. I mean offensive, like pushing back. 
We're not going to just defend against this lie. We're going to push back against it. We're going to look at some practical ways that through the truth of Jesus, we can live differently. As a result, push back against these lies. I think one of the ways to push back against the possession lie is in generosity. Generosity breaks the possession lie. Do you want to know how to live offensively against the possession lie? Live a life of generosity. Don't hold tightly to the things that we have. Hold loosely. Be grateful that God has given us so much in our lives. God, I'm so thankful for all you've given me that I want to hold on to it so loosely. I want to live a life of generosity. If there is a chance for me to bless someone else with the amazing things you've blessed me with, I want to do that. Generosity breaks the bondage of the possession lie. It rejects bowing down to things and instead reflects our complete trust on God. So now we know this, how do we live this out? Well, I'm going to give you two challenges today. Two practical challenges that will help you live a life of generosity, that will help you stand against the possession lie, to live differently. The first thing I want to challenge you with this morning is to try to go without. Go without. That's the first challenge. I wonder if this morning you could just ask God, God, is there something I need to go without just to make sure that this possession doesn't have a hold on me? Just to make sure that this possession isn't something I'm using to fill a gap that God himself should be filling. Now, it may not be a bad thing, but maybe there's something, God, in my life that I'm gonna make a choice to go without just to show you that my possession, my, my, it hasn't become an unhealthy obsession. What might that be? It might be shoes. Maybe for one month, you need to go without buying a new pair of shoes. And I wanna be clear here. I'm talking to the ladies and the guys, okay? I know you guys and your sneakers, okay? I know, and I know they're an investment. But maybe just for one month, it's saying, okay, just for a month, I'm not going to buy any new shoes. Not because shoes in and of themselves are bad, but maybe it's becoming a little bit of an unhealthy obsession. Maybe this possession is becoming bigger than God himself. It might be clothes. It might be Starbucks every single day. It might be power-ups in Candy Crush. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. It might be something that as you're listening this morning, there's something you're thinking about. You're like, you know what? I do. <laughs> I do spend a lot of money on that. It may be something you could afford. It may be something you can't afford. But whatever it is, it's become, if you're honest, a little bit of a, an unhealthy obsession. It's got a bit of a hold on you. It's, it's risen a little bit higher in your life than God himself. And going without for a period of time, just choosing to lay it down for a period of time, it's your way of showing and proving to God that this hasn't elevated to an area of greed in your life. It's showing God that your identity is not rooted in what you have, but in who you are. So maybe some of us this morning, that'll be the challenge we'll take away. That's how we're gonna offensively attack the possession lie. We're gonna, we're gonna respond to God this morning and say, there's something that I'm gonna choose to go without for a period of time just to show that my identity isn't tied to this thing. The second way that we can offensively push back on the possession lie 
is to give away. We can go without and we can also give away. Nothing is more effective in breaking the power of the possession lie than worshiping God through generosity. Looking for a way to bless others, to to give, to be generous, to hold loosely to what we have. This Christmas, we're gonna do again uh, what we do every year. It's called the Big Give. If you're new here, it's an opportunity to, to give leading up to Christmas. And we collect all the money that's given And we select three or four organizations uh, locally that are already doing a fantastic job at meeting the needs of others, helping others. And we say, listen, we, we wanna give to your organization. We wanna bless you this Christmas time. The folks at Connect Church wanna make sure that the very first Christmas gift they buy this year is for someone outside of their family. We're gonna give to help because we know these organizations especially at Christmas time, we'll be so thankful for that. We'll have an opportunity coming up here soon. We've partnered with an organization right here in Washington that work on a regular basis with uh, kids in middle school and high school who come from families who maybe they, they struggle sometimes to make ends meet. Throughout the year, they'll help these kids with, with food and clothing and uh, toiletries, that kind of thing. But at Christmas, every time, every year at Christmas, they select these kids and they, they choose individually to help each and every one of these kids at Christmas time. So we're gonna have a chance as a church to, um, to find out some of these kids and, and what their needs are at Christmas. And we can, we can choose a kid. We can say, I wanna take this particular family. I wanna take this teenager and I wanna uh, help them at this Christmas time. Every week throughout the year outside of Christmas, we get the opportunity here at Connect to give on a regular basis. And many of you do this, and we are so thankful for your generosity and your support. We really couldn't do what we do without that. Next week, we're going to get to hear an update of one of the organizations that we work with um, around the world. And you're going to get to see and hear some stories of the difference your giving is making globally. The difference your generosity makes. Maybe this week you'll just see a need in your community or in your family or in your workplace. And any other week, you probably would have just let it slide. But, but because you're so aware of the possession lie now and the influence it can have on you, you're determined to not just fall for the, for the possession lie. I'm going to work against it. I'm going to respond. I'm going to give. I'm going to help this family. I'm going to help this individual. I'm going to do something to help them. Whatever it is, If an opportunity rises this week to give away, to to show generosity, don't miss it. Here's the bottom line. You and I this morning, we are not what we have. We're so much more than that. We are beloved children of God. Our family, our, our heavenly father, he is known not for his greed, but for his generosity and his love and his grace. It's a family trait now that we've become adopted children of God to be generous. It's a family trait to be loved for who we are. Jesus was loved for who he was. There is such a powerful lie at work in our culture, a lie that measures status by possessions and it whispers to you, you are what you have. So let's stop buying into that lie. Life isn't about an abundance of possessions. 
Life is found in being the beloved children of God. And if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, you get that. But let's not fall for the lie of the devil. Let's continue to believe that we are loved. Our identity is in who we are in God, not in what we have. And may we truly come to understand that that is enough. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning for all of us here this morning. I pray that none of us would leave feeling any kind of guilt or shame for the possessions that we have, for the way in which you've blessed our lives and blessed us with the things that we have, Lord. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, Lord, compared to many in the world, we are incredibly blessed with what we have. But God, I do pray that none of us would fall for the lie, none of us would, um, that, that we would actually actively push back against the lie that our value, our identity comes from what we have. Because the truth is, Lord, when you look on, you don't look at our bank balance, you don't look at our possessions, you don't look at the size of our house. You look at us for who we are, the loved children of God. And I pray, Lord, that we would find all of our value in that and that alone. That it would inspire us to, to live lives of generosity, Lord. Because we're not looking to accumulate more and more. We're looking, Lord, out of our value and who we find in you to live a life following you, to bless others. So God, I pray for all of us here, especially because some of these lies, they are so believable. They are so um, saturated in the world in which we live. Help us to see them for what they are, lies from the father of lies himself. And that the truth, the truth that will set us free this morning is that, in your eyes, Lord, we are all ch your children. We are loved for who we are, not what we have. Pray this in Jesus' name.